welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. This message in Psalm 24 is going to make a huge difference in someone's life today. I don't know who it's speaking to specifically. There it may be for you because you've been walking through a tough place and Father wants you to know his victory. Sir, it may be for you because you have felt beaten down and it's time to rise up. But let's look at Psalm 24 one more time, if you would, please. And uh, you're going to have to give me a second to get there because I had, I had my pad ready for where we were going to study before. The first six verses of Psalm 24 ends with this word, Selah. And in the Hebrew, Selah means pause, give thought, give reflection, meditate on what you've just read. Then, in verse 7, he goes to this next phrase. What? Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? I love this. The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Lord of hosts. In some of the old translations, it was translated Lord Sabaoth. Literally, the Lord who is in control of everything. There is nothing above him. Now, to understand what he's talking about here. We, we have to understand that King David is pulling from a Semitic culture that everyone he wrote to would have this mental picture as he's writing this. And, and let me illustrate it for you, okay? A king has taken his army out into battle. They have marched out of the city. The city gates have been closed and locked tight. He has taken his army out into battle. They have won a great victory. They have defeated and conquered a neighboring kingdom, a neighboring uh, city-state. And as they won that victory... They gathered up all the spoil and they loaded the camels, they loaded the ox, they loaded the mules, they loaded the horses with the spoil of all of that victory. He gets it all lined up, all of the captives that they've taken, they get them all lined up 
and they start marching back to his city. The king leading his army. Their banners unfurled and they're coming back victoriously. And as they're coming back victoriously, when they, when they cross the mountain range or they cross the hillside or they begin to come across the valley and the watchman on the wall sees the king coming and sees his banners unfurled, then he turns and he yells to the gatekeepers, lift up the gates. The king is coming. Lift up the gates. And as this sound goes throughout the city, the city begins to gather on the cardio or the main street, we would call it, okay? And they gather there. And as the king comes through the gates, victoriously the crowds are cheering and yelling and behind him is his victorious army and the families are cheering their their soldiers that have come home and behind them are all of the spoil declaring what a great victory the king has won and he gathers them in the city square and they celebrate the great victory and all of the spoil is put into the storehouse <coughs> and the king has come in King David has had this experience time and again. Remember? Remember the songs? Saul has slain his thousands. David is ten thousands. The crowds would sing and cheer as David would come with his great victories, right? David, David had experienced this. But as David is writing this psalm, he's not seeing an earthly king. He is seeing the Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty in battle. That's who he is seeing. And as he writes this psalm, that's what he is seeing is the Lord of hosts gathering and coming in with this great victory. Amen? Well, when we begin thinking about the Lord of hosts and this great victory, maybe for you, your mind immediately, if you're, if you're a student of the scripture, maybe your mind immediately goes to the triumphant entry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And it's curious to me that historically, we have called that his triumphant entry. That wasn't his triumphant entry. That was his entry into his week of examination. We call it Palm Sunday, right? Because, because as Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey, they were putting palm branches down. People were putting coats down and they were cheering him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David, right? They, they were cheering him that way as he came into Jerusalem, making, of course, all of the Pharisees and Sadducees mad. <clears throat> By the way, you, you know why they called... I'm going to get one more drink before I hand it back to you, dear. Thank you. 
By the way, you know why they call them Pharisees and Sadducees, right? You guys understand that. We know that that was the religious council, the, the religious rulers over the city of Jerusalem. But the reason the Pharisees were called Pharisees is because they weren't fair, you see. <clears throat> and the reason the Sadducees were called Sadducees is because they were always sad, you see. Now, I don't know if you've noticed it, but we seem to have a lot of people in church today that seem to be Pharisees and sad, you see. <clears throat> There's, there's, some, there's some believers, I want to I ask them, so did you get like baptized in vinegar juice or what? Man, you need to, you, you need to notify your face. Get happy. Yeah, come on. Amen? That was all extra, I bet. Isn't in my notes. So as... as, as Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem on this day that was called his triumphant day. What is actually happening is he is coming into a week of examination. At this point in Jesus' life, he is literally fulfilling being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and what is happening simultaneously that week is all of the, all of the fathers have gone out into their herds or they have gone to the to the to the uh, to the cattle auction and they and they have examined and they have they have get they have purchased or they have selected out of their flock a Passover lamb that is without blemish because they they are entering into Passover week and what they were to do at that point is they were to go and select that lamb and set it aside and every day go out and carefully examine to make sure there is no flaw in that lamb that they are going to take on Passover to be sacrificed as the Passover lamb for their family. And Jesus is coming in as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as he comes in that day, the first thing that's happened, he's examined at the temple. And all the children are singing praises to him. And the Pharisees rebuke him. And he says, don't you understand what it says in Psalm 8? Out of the mouth of babes comes strength and praise. That evening, Jesus goes back across the Kidron Valley, back to the Mount of Olives, and, and stays outside the city. Comes back in on Monday. He's examined all day Monday. And if you go, if you go in the Gospels and you read these, this last week every day, they are asking him, trying to trap him with questions. They are asking him, they are examining him. And every time they do, the tables are turned on them. And they are frustrated because what is happening is the Lamb of God is revealing himself to be exactly who he is, the perfect Lamb of God. And I want you to watch what happens this week. As Jesus made this entry and he's cheered and he's clapped and he is praised, that's not his triumphant entry. That is his entrance 
into the warfare. He is stepping into the warfare to battle for mankind. And every day as he is examined, every day he sinks a little lower into the battle for mankind until finally after he has eaten the Passover meal with his disciples, he goes to Gethsemane to the place of crushing. And there He spends hours praying and seeking God. And he's dealing with his own flesh. He's dealing with his human soul. And finally, where Adam lost the victory in the garden, Jesus Christ wins the victory in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. And he is arrested. And he is taken to the religious council. And he is falsely accused. He is beaten unjustly. And they deal with him religiously as far as they can. And the final question, are you the son of God? What's the answer? Yes. And with that, they sentence him to death. And they take him now to the political government for him to be condemned there. And as he is making this this move from Caiaphas' house, they bring him back across the Tyropenean and the the Hinnom Valley and back into the old city. And they have to march him to the fort of Antonio where he's going to be judged by Pilate. He has been found guilty and unjust by the religious leaders who do not really know God. They have a form of godliness, but they don't know him. And they take him now to the government leaders where he's going to be judged. And as he is judged before them, He comes before Pilate and Pilate examines him and goes out and says, I find no fault in this man. He is found found completely just and righteous. And yet he is sentenced to death. Why? Because as he is taken before the crowd... He is taking on the sins of mankind. All of those who are calling for his crucifixion. All of those who are calling him uh, 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 a heretic and who are calling him a blasphemer. All of those who are falsely accusing him. And isn't it interesting? Here stands the Son of God. Righteous and just in every way. And across from him stands... Barabbas, son of father, who is guilty because he was born a sinner and he carries the sin of Adam and he he is a murderer. He is unjust in all of his ways. And as he stands there guilty, the son of God who is not guilty takes his sin. Yes. That's you standing over there. 
Born a sinner from the womb. And in your heart of hearts, you know the sin that's been in your life. You know where you have missed the mark. You know where you have come up short. You know where you, of your own volition and your own will, have made decisions to do things that you knew were not right. And you're standing there guilty. But here stands the Son of God. And he's taking upon himself all the sin of mankind. And from there they take him to the flogging post. That through his flogging, every time that cat of nine tails rips through his flesh, he is bearing your sickness, your disease. He is bearing your emotional trauma, your mental trauma, your physical trauma. He is taking all of your sickness and your disease. He is carrying all of your pain and all of your sickness in his body. Every time they rip his flesh, it is for you. To finally when they get done flogging him, you can the capillaries have all burst. You can see the bone of his of his scapula. You can see portions of his spine. And from there, they take him to Golgotha, where they nail him to the cross. And as he hangs between heaven and earth, God, why have you forsaken me? Because for that one moment, Father's face turns away from his son. Because at that moment, God made him sin for us. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. That we who were sinners might be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, he is carrying it all for you and for me. He is making it possible for us to become a whole new creation. He is making it possible for our sin to be removed as far as from the east as from the west. He is making it possible for you and I to be just as if we'd never sinned. He's making it possible for you and I to become a whole new creation and to have eternal life. Jesus is dying in our place. The week's not over. At three o'clock that afternoon, the very time when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, the very time he's taken from the cross, the veil is torn in two. Jesus is buried in a borrowed tomb. He borrowed the tomb of Joseph Arimathea. He's only going to need it for three days. He can give it right back. (laughs) They bury him in the grave. And as he's buried in the grave, the soul and spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ goes to Sheol, not hell. Sheol, 
is the name of a compartment beneath the earth that was divided between an upper compartment and the lower compartment the, and, and separated by a great gulf. The lower compartment was hell, the fiery part of Sheol, hell. The upper compartment, Jesus called it Abraham's bosom. He also called it paradise. About the same time Jesus arrived in paradise, there was another criminal hanging on, the, on another cross next to Jesus who arrived in paradise at the same time. Because hanging on the cross, he believed in Jesus. And Jesus said to him, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. And so these two guys arrived in paradise at the same time. The difference was he was the son of father, Barabbas. Jesus was the son of God. And as the son of God entered in to Abraham's bosom, to paradise, there was celebration. David, Abraham, Elijah, Elisha, Samuel, Moses. All of them had been looking forward to that day. Oh man, this is the day Jesus has come. And he's there three days. While he's there three days, he is preaching. You find this in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. He's preaching. The whole time he's there, he's preaching. And the whole time he is in Sheol preaching, Satan has a headache. He's got a serious problem coming. And on the third day, out of the third heaven comes this bolt of power. And it flashes into the second heaven. It bursts through the Milky Way. It comes crashing into our solar system. And it lands on planet Earth in this small place called Jerusalem on this rocky crag called Mount Moriah. And it bursts into this grave owned by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And as that power comes into that grave, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to life. And as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to life, the soul and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ that had been in Abraham's bosom, he turns to all of the righteous ones there in paradise, in Abraham's bosom. And he says, come with me. Now he begins his triumphant entry. Because as the Lord Jesus Christ walks out of that grave of Joseph of Arimathea, he empties the graves of all of the righteous ones. And as they begin to come out of the grave, Elijah says, just one moment, Jesus. Suddenly he says, yeah, can, can we have just, Isaiah says, been a long time, Jesus. He's okay. I don't know how long he paused, long enough to see Mary Magdalene. 
But while he's meeting Mary Magdalene, and she is surprised thinking it was the gardener, but it was, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. All throughout the city of Jerusalem, people are seeing some of the old prophets walking the streets. Where do you get that? Matthew chapter 27, verse 54. Amen. Jesus said, come on. And this is what the apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. As Jesus ascended back to the Father, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. Because as Jesus Christ rose from the dead and as he went back to Father, he took all of those that had been held captive by the one that had the power of death, Lucifer, who had the power of death and held both the righteous and the wicked in Sheol. Now that power, the keys of death held the grave have been taken out of his hands. Jesus holds them and he leads the captives back to heaven where they are free. Hallelujah. That is his triumphant entry. And can you hear the angels singing? Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Hallelujah. As he led them to the third heaven and to the heavenly Jerusalem. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. That's the first fruits. First Corinthians says that's the first fruits. That's just the first fruits. That's the gleaning. The harvest is coming. And there's coming a day when in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, a trumpet is going to sound. Yes. An archangel is going to declare, the king is coming. Yes. And he's going to appear in the sky. Yes. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, all of the righteous ones on planet earth, mm-hmm. they are going to be changed. And this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. This earthly is going to put on a heavenly. And in that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, and someone measured it. I don't know how they do that, but it's so many nanoseconds, whatever that is. (laughs) Physicists probably know. I'm not a physicist. I'm just a biblical scholar. But I love that twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen really, 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 really fast. We will leave this earth and between earth and Jesus, we will put on our heavenly body. And then Jesus is going to lead us triumphantly home with him. Where for seven years, we are going to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. During those seven years, we're going to receive our rewards for our faithful service here on earth. During those seven years, we're going to receive our robes of righteousness. During those seven years, we are going to celebrate with the Lord Jesus Christ his victory. And then, at the end of seven years, Jesus is going to say, mount up. And in a moment, this city slicker is going to be able to ride a horse. (laughs) 
Because it says in, in Revelation chapter 19 that he will mount a white stallion and we will mount horses behind him. And the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to earth for his final triumphant entry. Then he lifted up the everlasting doors that the king of glory may come in. At that moment, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is not coming as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is coming as king of kings and lord of lords. And he is coming to rule and reign. That is his final triumphant entry. Hallelujah. We are so blessed that you join us online today. For more resources on how you can grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us online at www.winacity.com. If you would like to speak with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ or would like prayer, you can contact us at 541-567-4486 or email us at info at